0: Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. We're about to dive in. Like Pastor Michael said, we are in a series called Everything with Nothing. And I'm going to be speaking to you guys today um, out of this theme called Nothing If Not Available nothing if not available. And so if you've got your notebooks, your pencils, get them ready. Um, but we're just going to dive right into some scripture. What today is going to be like is we're going to dive in and read um, part of the Christmas story, and we're going to read it all together. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go back and kind of break it down bit by bit and make sure that we aren't missing any of the goodness that's in there and any of the things that we can take away and learn, but also apply to our lives um, and also find out what God is like, and what his nature is, and what his character is. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. We're going to be looking at the story of Mary. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. But I'm going to read this chunk for us here. It's about uh, the story of Mary and an encounter she had with an angel. It says, why does my Bible open to Psalms? There we go. Perfect. Okay, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, you oh, will overshadow you. Therefore, the Most High, or sorry, therefore, the child. Why am I messing up? There we go. Verse 35 again. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, Now, the remarkable thing here um, is that we're going to talk today about Mary, who, like we just learned, um, is actually, she becomes the mother of the Son of God, the mother of Jesus. And we're going to dive into her role in this Christmas story, and not just her role in it, but what it actually took to be a part of it. If you're here for the first time, you know, I encourage you to keep coming back because for the next about two to three weeks, we're going to continue to explore and rejoice over the wonder of the gospel, which is made possible because of the incarnation. And the incarnation, like we learned last week, if you were here, is the main point, is the central claim of Christmas. The word incarnate literally means in flesh, and it is about the miraculous, mind-bending event of God entering humanity, of God becoming human. The incarnation means that Jesus Christ became man. And so in him, we have the one who is both fully at once, God and man. And the beautiful thing about the incarnation is that what it is, is Jesus was forever joining himself to the humanity of every single person who would receive him. He was joining himself to us so that he could accomplish our rescue and our redemption And there's a definition of the term that, again, we went over last week, and I just want to bring it up one more time. It's from an author named John Clark. And I think I'm going to block whichever side I go to, no matter what. But it's from an author, John Clark, who wrote an incredible book on the incarnation. And it says this. It says, God, without ever ceasing to be God, actually became what he created in order to reconcile himself to us. And what I love about that definition is it gives us God's motivation from the beginning. It says, in order to, right? So right there we know why did God become man? In order to reconcile us to himself. And so God's whole game plan, God's whole whole motive was in that he saw that we were separated from him because of our sin, and he said, I want relationship with them so badly that I'm going to make it possible, and I'm going to become nothing so that we could experience that. And what we're going to do now is we're going to go right back through what we just read through Luke. And I want us to start at Luke one twenty six, And we're going to start to break down and see some of what we can take away. And so starting at verse 26, let's read this one more time. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The angel was sent. Why? Because Mary was rich? Mm Mm-mm. Because Mary was famous? Uh Uh-uh. Don't nobody know Mary outside of that town? Probably She wasn't anyone. She wasn't powerful. She wasn't impressively skilled. She was a simple, ordinary person. And yet she was seen by God. Scholars say that she was young, poor, and likely to be uneducated. And yet again, she was seen by God. So no matter what it is that we feel like might be stacked up against us, I'm so grateful that we have a God who sees and knows every single person. Moving on to Luke 1.30, we find this. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And that right there is the why. The angel was sent, again, not because Mary was famous or knew a lot of people or had a lot of clout. The angel was sent because Mary was the recipient of God's favor. And one of the first things that Mary's story does is it gives us hope that, um, it gives us hope for what God can do with our lives. That no matter what culture might say about you, no matter how those around you might describe you, no matter how oftentimes ourselves would describe ourselves or knock ourselves down, that none of those things are actually a hindrance to God seeing us and to God having a miraculous purpose for our lives. Every single thing that you could say about yourself or that culture might want to say about you, it doesn't deter God. God's grace is so much greater than anything that we can face in this life. And as we move on to verse 31 through 34, we'll get to see a little bit more why. Verse 31 reads, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. This is again the angel talking to Mary. And you shall, um, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And here in this verse, what we find is both the remarkable blessing and the remarkable cost that Mary is faced with, that she's going to have to take on in order for that miracle to be able to come through her. Being the mother of the son of God is the miracle, and yet the level of scorn and shame that Mary is going to have to endure is the cost that she will have to pay. You know, oftentimes it's easy for us to equate the favor of God with the favor of culture, the favor of God with really favorable circumstances, but it doesn't always work out like that. And it doesn't mean God isn't good. It just means God works in a different way. And he also doesn't need that to accomplish what he's going to do in this earth. You know, it makes me wonder what costs and what decisions you might be facing and calculating. For Mary, she was counting the cost of the shame that she would have to endure. Maybe you're counting the cost of a career move or maybe not going after something or maybe saying yes and stepping out into something for God. I don't know what any of the costs that you might be calculating today are, but I am here today to call each of us to give our lives to God or to go deeper with him because no matter the cost, building a relationship with Jesus is the most freeing and fulfilling and eternally significant thing that you could ever do. And what I love so much about Mary is that she knew this. She knew this to be true. She could have heard what the angel said and asked what people would think. She could have demanded to know why. Anyone else do that with God sometime? She could have demanded God tell her why. She could have begged to know when exactly it would happen, but she didn't. She asked one question. How? How? And Mary's response, sorry, the angel's response to Mary is very telling of the attitude with which Mary asked. She asked with a spirit of willing curiosity that said, yo, I'm in. Just like, give me the game plan. Like, where are we going? How are we going to get there? You know, she was ready. And we can tell that by the angel. If the angel would have detected anything outside of faith and readiness, we would have seen her receive a very different response. But here's what we see moving on to Luke 1.35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. See, the angel doesn't scold or rebuke Mary. Instead, he explains how God will perform the miracle because he knew her heart was ready to receive it. Sometimes God can give us an explanation or a miracle and we won't move forward with it if we're not ready. But again, that's what we can take away from Mary is that her heart was ready to receive what God was wanting to do. And that's why we saw the angel give her that full download. And the truth is when Mary heard this, let's be honest, Mary is, Mary is not Jesus. Mary is also like us. So the temptation to maybe turn back or flee or everything else was absolutely there. Think of all the things that could have been running through Mary's head. There were a million other things like falling, out of pre- uh, falling pregnant out of wedlock. The reason... Um, What you'll find in the scriptures is that they describe Mary and Joseph as betrothed. And I know that's a word that we don't really use in today's culture, but what that means is it's actually much more serious than engagement. It's not married yet, but it is so weighty. And so to fall pregnant when you're only betrothed was, scandalous is a very light word to describe it. And she would have been calculating all those things. But Mary, just like you and I, when we hear the purposes of God, we have the opportunity to consider alternatives. When we hear God's purpose for our lives, that we're supposed to be known by him, live in relationship with him, put him first in every single area and follow Jesus's example of making and multiplying disciples, we have the option to consider alternatives. Maybe the alternative that you're considering or or following through with is living a life that's completely separate from God and outside of his grace or outside of a relationship with him. Maybe for some of us, it's the alternative of doing all the right things. But on the inside, our hearts are a far cry from the yes and the love that God desires. There are always gonna be alternatives. And so I'm just so grateful that we have an example um, in Mary of someone who considered the alternatives and yet responded out of who she knew God to be. I think that's the biggest thing that we can take away is are we going to respond? What is going to be the first thing that we base our response on? Will it be fear or worry or shame or is it going to be who God is and what he has promised to accomplish in our lives? And this is why, again, we can marvel at Mary's response every one of us in this room, and we can marvel at the one quality that set Mary apart. It was humility. Mary carried so much humility. See, it takes humility to acknowledge God as who he is, as a creator of the universe, as the rightful Lord and authority over our lives, even as the God who is simply trustworthy. The thing that I love about God when we talk about his holiness is that means that God is without sin. And so if God is without sin, it means that he cannot sin against you. There is no sin whatsoever, so he is completely trustworthy, and sometimes it just takes humility to be able to look at God and say, okay, you are trustworthy with whatever I put in your hands. No matter what it is you walked in here holding today, you can place it in the hands of the God who is only going to do what is for your best and for his glory, and you know, When I look at, um, when we look at Mary's response, what we're going to read next through verses 37 and 38, what we get is such a small glimpse of the kind of humility that her life must have been marked by to have been seen and for God to be able to bring something so miraculous through her. In verse 37 and 38, we read, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of God. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, the angel was sent because Mary was the recipient of God's favor, but Mary was the recipient of God's favor because her humility attracted God's favor, like a beacon, like a magnet. Mary is the epitome of the verse we find in our New Testament that said God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, Mary didn't just find favor, she found the favor of all favors to be the mother of the son of God. And Mary's response to the angel was nothing less than a declaration about her entire identity Mary pronounced herself as a servant of the Lord which means that she must have led a life that sounded like whatever God wants to do I'm in and I know that by getting on board and living my life walking with Jesus learning where he's going and what he's wanting to do that I in turn will be supremely blessed because of it Mary's response was entirely different from a lot of the examples we actually find in our Old Testament. And that's what I'm going to walk us through a few of these because I want us to understand that Mary's response was so remarkable. Let's look at Moses, for example. Any of y'all know Moses? Ever heard that name? A yeah. Few of us, right? Um, so Moses, God meets him in a burning bush. He reveals himself to Moses miraculously charges Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and out of their slavery. And what was Moses' response? Exodus 4.13 says this. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. (laughs) I ain't gonna do it, don't make me do it. He said, oh Lord, he said, oh my Lord, you know, it's different. See, and and the funny thing is when you go back and you read this story, what you find is that Moses, before he says this, gives so many examples and reasons why God shouldn't choose him. He shares insecurity after insecurity and when Moses couldn't see past his insecurities, what we find in Mary is a woman who kept her eyes fixed on God. She's she's the difference maker. And so it poses the question to us. What part of God's character do we need to meditate on today in order to overcome whatever is holding us back from giving our yes to him? Is it his grace and his forgiveness because you you don't think he would have it for you? Is it his ability to redeem anything that you would bring to him? Is it his wisdom, his might, whatever it might be, when we fix our eyes on these things, it actually makes us realize how much bigger they are than everything we could come to the table and offer. And, you know, moving on later in the Old Testament, if you go to the book of Judges, we find a time when a woman named Deborah is ruling. And in this, in this time period, we find a man named Barak. Now, Barak was called by God to defeat a general and to break the power of the Canaanites. Um, and when he finds this out, instead of giving like just a willingness, he responds with an if-then statement. Instead of saying yes, he literally says this in Judges 4.8. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to go. He said, if you go, never mind. never mind what God said. Never mind what God promised. Never mind who God is. If you go with me, I will go. See, Mary, when she responds with a courageous faith, it may, we, we see how remarkable that is in light of Barak's um, fear-stricken ultimatum. Fear will always lead us into trying testing God or putting um, like aside, like something else outside of God to depend on. And can you just imagine with me how different this moment might have been if Barak had taken his fears to God and confessed them? and allowed God's voice to be part of the equation? Is there any fear that you're grappling with or struggling with about finances in in a season like this, about relationships or maybe fractured things within family or whatever it might be? What would happen and what could change? Our response to God's invitation if we simply confess those fears to him. And you know, Jonah, another prophet in the Bible, Oh man. Well, so God told him, he said, go to the city of Nineveh and preach repentance. He said, go. Jonah said, I ain't going to, he went in the, he went in the opposite direction. God said, go to the city of Nineveh and preach repentance that my people might be saved and might experience my grace. And Jonah said, nah, it ain't me. He said, said, you got the wrong person. He did the opposite of what God had called him to do. And lastly, you know, no shade on the New Testament, but it, It's just like the Old Testament in a certain way because there are people who do this as well. When we look to the story of Zechariah, who is actually in the very same chapter of Luke, right before we get to the story of Mary, we find this man named Zechariah. And he is the husband of the woman, Elizabeth, that was referenced in the passage we read. And he was also encountered by an angel who gave him the good news that his wife, who was barren, was now pregnant and would bear a child. And he responded with unbelief. See, when you read the passages, they both ask a question of how, but their attitudes and their spirits could not be further apart. This man even argued with God's messenger. We find in Luke 1.18, oh, I'm, I'm going to wait for it because this this. Zacharias said to the angel, do you expect me to believe this? He said, I'm an old man. And oh, I don't know if he was walking after this or not. My wife is an old woman. <laughs> He said, I'm an old man. He said, it's like when our friend's like, yeah, I'm going to do something. You're like, prove it. Go ahead. Prove it. Zachary was like, how are you going? Dog, I don't know. And he responded, he tried to argue with the man. And again, I know we're laughing and joking. They are pretty funny, probably only because they're true about us as well. But what they do is they just remind us how much Mary's response must have blessed the heart of God. After a history Of so many different kinds of people, how pleasing her response would have been, how much much it must have moved his heart to see her humility, to search high and low and find the one. So I have to ask us today again more questions, but how is God inviting you to bring his grace to the people around you? And what has your response been like? Has that grace looked like the call to forgive someone? has the grace look like to bring that area of your life back into submission to him so that you could bear fruit and actually bring life to people through it? Whatever it might be, what has God commanded you to do and how has your response been lately? Some of us in this room relate more to the other examples than we do to Mary. Some of us are still walking the opposite direction of where God told us to go. Some of us can list off one to five to a 100 reasons why God could never use us to be conduits of his grace. Some of us have it memorized even why God wouldn't choose us to reach people or why God would be better off picking someone else to expand his kingdom. I know what that's like. And I also know that it's possible to overcome it. For me, it was youth ministry. You know, when I got asked to start our youth ministry several years ago, I thought they called me by accident. <laughs> I picked up the phone. I was like, You got the right number? Who this? Are you, are you sure? Because <laughs> I just, I had never thought of that youth. Like, was not, it was not on my radar. And they, in fact, had not called me by accident. They intended and wanted to entrust it to me. And, you know, for the first few years, it was really wonderful and it was good. But then as time went on and I became increasingly aware of my own shortcomings, and my insufficiencies and the areas where I'd feel like i had maybe failed and they had started piling up instead of being surrendered to Jesus to heal. They started building up and I realized that my discouragement and my self-focus had consumed me to the point where my loving faith became a loveless obedience. And I was in that place and I wasn't bitter but I truly believed that God could not use me to pour out his grace to young people. I was doing it only because I was asked, not because I was willing to invest or had faith that we could see a move of God. And it was this moment, and and I just wanna encourage you, if you're in that place, don't shirk off responsibility. Don't step outside of what you've already committed to stewarding. Ask for help. Because sometimes we think, oh, I just have to like unburden myself of everything so that I can get alone with God and hear from him. But that's often not what is going to lead to fruit in your life of actual change. And I'll tell you why. See, at the Holy Spirit conference that we had this past year, we had seven students there and we got to see some of them receive the gift of tongues. We got to see some of them receive prophetic words and watch their parents get prophesied over. Yeah, that deserves an amen to God. And the thing was, at the pre-party, we had um, taken over this whole little table. It was like the youth table, you know? Um, and all of our team is just so insanely incredible. And they were serving in different areas. And I was sitting at this table. And it wasn't like middle school students who had known each other for a minute and were homies. It was like people who didn't know each other. Like a brand-new kid from Highland Park. It was two kids from South Bay. Two other brand-new girls from South Bay. One kid from Nashville. Like it was just a mix. And so it was very quiet, as you can imagine. And the fear starts setting in. And I'm like, what do now? Who say what joke? I'm not funny. What do? Okay. And I just remember like, I'd remember telling you one of them said, had said something and got them talking and they were laughing and then they were starting to be like a little bit of a gelling, you know. And in that moment, God spoke. And he said, you are the right person for the job. You are the person I have called to bring my love to the young people of this city and I will use you if you will let me. And you know what? It wasn't a moment on an altar where everyone could see. It wasn't in a prayer moment and all of those things. It was one of the most secret, yet most sacred moments of my life. And I walked back in that auditorium. Yeah, we can give an amen for that. And and that's why I just said before offhand that, that I want you to stay in the place where God has called you. Because imagine if God had spoken that to me at any other time when I wasn't in the middle of doing it. I don't know if I would have believed him because I couldn't see it happening. And not that we always need to see, but I'm just saying when you are faithful to stay where God has placed you, you will be able to hear his voice and you will be able to see what he sees in a new way. And I'm not here to judge you or shame you if you're not quite like Mary yet. There are probably areas in your life where you're not and areas where you are. Again, it's not about shaming you or judging you, but make no mistake, I am here to try and stir up a hunger in us that would pray, God, I'm willing. That prays, God, would you use me? I don't know how. I don't know if you can, but I bet you can because you're the God who created everything from nothing and the God who takes everything, the God who takes nothing and can make everything with it. So here's my life, God, given away for your glory. That is one of the most remarkable prayers that you can pray. Because if I can do that, this is why I'm after that. If I can do that, the city of Los Angeles will be reached with the grace and love of God. The city of Los Angeles will see a revival start to bubble up because we have a church that believes that their life should be centered around God and the people he's got his eyes on. And that's the kind of church that I want to be. And the thing about that, sometimes you, you could be sitting here and being like, "Woof, I have a lot of work I have to do in my heart. Guess what? God's with you. And God is the one who is able to do the work that needs to be done. The Bible says, my Bible says, that God was the one who turned a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. It's my Bible that says that God took lifeless bones and made them into an army of God. God is a part of the equation and he can do the work that needs to be done in your heart to give a yes to him. You know, Mary was God's servant for his plan. And so we see the grace of God flow through her in such a remarkable way. Mary was nothing by the standards of the world. And yet God chose her to carry his son in her womb because Mary saw herself as nothing if not available to God. For her, that was the height of purpose and importance to be readily available for whatever God wants to do. See, if you want your life to be beautiful, don't make your life about your life. Make it about the God who turns hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Make it about the God who hung the stars in the sky and told the waves where to stop and will outlast every trophy and achievement we could ever chase. Make it about the God whose love is greater and more pure than any love we could offer or stir up in ourselves to give to someone. This is the God that we get to make our life about. Make it about the God who doesn't show partiality but joyfully left heaven to be born as a baby to die on a cross all so that he could offer forgiveness to you and I. The God who said, let me do this in order to reconcile all of you, to myself. We can give our lives the greatest meaning by emptying ourselves of self-importance and filling ourselves with the humility to be known and loved by God. Instead of orienting our lives around ourselves, our our comforts and our presence, our preference, and letting them dictate everything, place it before God and invite him to do what only he can do. There's a sacrifice to becoming nothing. I'm not going to pull the wool over your eyes and pretend there isn't. We know that already from Mary's example. But it does make me wonder what it might be for you today. Again, going back, what do you feel like that cost might be? Or what do you get to lay down or dethrone so that God can have your yes again? And so that your yes isn't a hollow one that echoes and rings because it's filled with loveless obedience. But one that actually says, no God, I believe that you can do what you said you will do. Let it be to me according to your word like Mary said. Because the thing is, the moment you lay it down and the moment you surrender it, the adventure begins. And God, with a willing heart and a readied spirit, will work miracles in your life. He will use you to reach your coworkers. He will use you to pour grace into your family like they've never known it. He will use it to heal and break off generational curses. He will use it to give you a life that you never thought was possible because you're swept up in the family of God, building the only thing the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against which is his church I want to ask the band to come back on up and join us and when you think about whether or not you want to say yes to God today for the first time or to go yes in a deeper way I want us to look at one of the greatest yeses that we can ever find in scripture And when we search, we'll discover it isn't Mary, although she's been an amazing example for us today. Neither is it the Apostle Paul, who many of us are familiar with, although Paul did write about it in his letter to the church in Philippi. Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says this, have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking on the form of a stir, a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The greatest yes we can aim for is Jesus's yes. No other yes compares in costliness. Mary's yes, remarkable as it is, only scratches the surface of the one who embraced the ultimate humiliation of going from the Son of God in heaven to a baby in a manger to a cross to die. Not even for it himself but for our sins because he was the only perfect one who could bring about justice God so fiercely loves you and wants a relationship with you that he became nothing Jesus emptied himself so that the grace of God could flow through his life and it that's an invitation that's available to each of us the grace of God came in the most immeasurable manner through Jesus, because Jesus made himself the lowest of all. God coming as a man, and in doing so, again, releasing the greatest outpouring of grace. But why, why do, we, why do we say it with such grand language? This is it, the significance of Christmas is the incarnation that we talked about at the beginning. The incarnation is what makes the cross meaningful, because if it were not Jesus dying as a man on the cross, the cross doesn't mean anything. It's got no power for us. In the words of David Campbell, who's gonna be a speaker at next year's Holy Spirit Conference, he says it like this. God sent Jesus. He came and took upon himself every part of our humanity. He had to do that in order to redeem and rescue us. Otherwise, how can Jesus redeem what he did not assume? He took upon himself the form of a servant, and a slave and walked through it as the scriptures say yet without sin see Jesus came and lived a life as fully God and fully man so that he could sympathize with you and bring you hope in the midst of weakness Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven and the way that that works because I know if you're not hearing it for the 50 millionth time that probably sounds crazy but here it is the way that this works is that Jesus is the one who is our forgiveness who is our hope whether we're here for the first time or we've been going to church for years, I think sometimes it's easy to slip into thinking about the attributes of God as if they're somehow separate from Him. Annoyingly, we can start to think of all the things that Christ is as Amazon packages. We try to order and have Him deliver ASAP or maybe just go pick up so we can get it even faster. We seek peace. We seek out comfort. We seek out wisdom. We seek out healing, regardless of the source we're seeking it from. We almost seek these things as if they're like, given apart from him but the thing is God didn't just give us the gift of justification he didn't just give us the gift of forgiveness he didn't just give us the gift of sanctification God gave himself us and in him are all of those things This is what it means when the prophet Isaiah writing of the incarnation says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Not just a giver of peace, but the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor himself, who doesn't just send us things as if he's disconnected, but gives himself and invites us to know him. This is the difference it makes. So now that when you put your faith in Jesus and you give God your yes, you don't have to grasp for all the individual gifts that God has given to us. Instead, we make it our life's aim to build a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship where we know him. Instead of tossing out every Hail Mary to the universe, praying to something, if we don't know what it is that we're heard, and praying that it might come back in our favor, we get to speak to the God who knows you, by name who knows every single thing about you and has the most remarkable purpose for your life today Jesus is drawing us into this glorified humanity he is here in this room to lift us up out of our shame out of our brokenness out of our sin stricken humanity and the cycles that we get caught in and guess what he's here to do it with his mercy and his kindness it's not condemnation it's mercy and kindness and forgiveness that he already bought with his life That's why Jesus is the hope of the world and the hope of humanity. Through Jesus, this is the incredible thing. What was said of Mary is now true of every single believer. You have the favor of God. The Lord is with you and you are blessed. This is the promise for every single believer who puts their faith in Jesus. And I would love for us to just stand. We're gonna move into a time of responding to invitations that God is giving us here today. We're gonna spend time in prayer. And it's this very Jesus, the God of the Bible who entered into human history not only to save us from our sins, but to show us how to live by demonstrating the greatest yes of God. He doesn't just wanna get you free. He wants to set you into purpose and show you how to live your life. And every one of us here today has the opportunity to respond to God like Mary did, to give our same yes. Today is your moment to become nothing if not available to God. The way you can do that is by turning away from a self-governed life and acknowledging Jesus as Lord. Another way you can do that is by saying yes to God and turning away from the sin that wounds you and others around you and coming to the altar, repenting and receiving the forgiveness that He's ready to give you. You know, giving your yes to God is the only route to a true life of meaning and eternal impact. And here's this, the greatest news. You aren't making the first move. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.